You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. This morning, we're in Titus. Um, so if you want to turn to, to Titus, um, we're in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Uh, and, and again, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we just want to say welcome, uh, especially if, you are, if you're new with us. Um, yeah, God's doing some amazing things in our church. And it is so much fun to be back with you, worshiping alongside you. Uh, this past week, I had the opportunity to go up, the privilege, I guess you'd say, to go up to Iowa. And I'm, I'm taking some classes, which is always fun. You can pray for me in that. Um, I don't like school, but it's good. Uh, and, and taking some classes, and I got to, to go worship at, uh, at Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa. And it's always fun to, to go back to, to Iowa, um, especially in the summertime, not so much in the winter, but going back to Iowa and, and going to Cornerstone, because if you don't know it, Cornerstone is kind of our grandmother church. Cornerstone planted Candeo, Candeo planted Anthem. And I feel like lots of times when I go back to Ames, go back to Cornerstone, I'm reminded of what we're a part of. And it's so much fun because, because the, the reality is we want to grow as a church. We want to grow as a community because we want to impact this community. We want to impact Columbia for the gospel. Amen? We want to do that, but at the same time, we know that it, we don't want it to stop with us. We're a part of something bigger, and so we want to just continue to say, God, what do you have for, for us with open hands? Where would you have us go next? And um, so it's always fun to, to go and be reminded. But this morning in, in Titus, what we're going to be doing is this is just kind of a continuation of last week's message. Because what, what last week, as, as Todd taught last week on, on uh, the, the passage right before this, he taught about the importance of, of Paul talking to, this, to the pastor of this church. That's what Titus is. It's a letter to a guy named Titus who is, who is pastoring this church. And he's telling them, hey, set up leaders in the church. And, and he, last week he gave qualifications, and there's reasons behind those things. And, and Todd did a great job. If you weren't here, go online. You can listen to it. But basically, he's, he's getting at the fact that we need, we need boundaries to our faith so that, so that our faith can flourish. We, we need men who can step up and who can, who, can, who can walk in sound doctrine to lead others, men and women, who are going to set the pace for the church. And this week, what he does is he kind of he moves and he says, this is why... That's so important. This is, this is why, if you're, in, if you're in Titus, Titus chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 10. We're just going to dive right in. He says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Go ahead and just stop right there. He says, for the first verse in, in this passage that we're looking at, again, he's going back and he's saying, here's the reason I said what I just said. Just look at, look at verse 9 if you're there. Verse 9, he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He's going through the requirements of, of these leaders, of these men who can step up, and he's saying they, they gotta, they got to be uh, hold Hold to sound doctrine, that word sound, it's where we get the, the title to the series, Saved and Sound. It, it means healthy, it means firm, it means, um, you know, obviously the opposite of sickly. And he says, we, we have to be people who hold to this. And then he says, for, for 
there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. He says, in this church, in this, in this local church, Titus, there are people who are, who are coming up, and, and you have to be aware of them. This is why we need sound doctrine. This is why we need people to set the pace. Because he says, first of all, there are people, he gives three kind of characteristics of these people. The first one you see there is, he says, there are people who are insubordinate. And that word insubordinate, it literally means like untethered. And, and I, I think that in, in our culture especially, we, we like the idea of being untethered, right? We like the, like Pinocchio. I was thinking about, the, the, you guys remember Pinocchio when, um, you know, that he sang that song, there ain't no strings on me. Remember that song? So Pinocchio is, is supporting insubordination, so we need to silence him. But uh, <laughs> Disney is always trying to, you know, I'm kidding. But, but that's the idea, especially in our culture. It's like freedom means I, I've got no strings on me. I can go wherever. I can do whatever. I'm free. I'm, you know, I'm not bound by anything. And, and the reality is I was talking to a guy not too long ago, and he was using the illustration of, of like, talking about freedom. And he was saying, do you, do you know what a kite, like, everybody's flown a kite before, right? If you haven't flown a kite, you should probably do that today. It's just, it's just something everybody should do. Um, but, but, you know, when you fly a kite, the thing that makes a, makes a kite a kite is what? Right? It's the string. You're right. Some people are whispering because you don't want to say things out loud in church because you might be wrong. But, but like, it's the string. How, do you know what a kite is without a string? It's trash in the wind. That's all it is. Have you, have you ever, when those of you who have flown kites, hopefully that's all of you, like when you're, when you're flying a kite and like, especially if you're with a kid and they let go and you're like, all right, you got to hold on to this. And then they hold on to it for a second and then let go for some reason. It's just what they do. And then, and then that kite, it's like, well, that kite is just trash. It gets caught in trees and all these different things. The reason a kite can actually, like you grab that string, you go running off, the kite goes up in the air. The only reason it does that is because of the string. It's because it's tethered. To something. And he's saying these people are, are cutting their tethers. They're, they're saying they're, they're, they're cutting ties. And, and he, he says the next thing is they're empty talkers. They're empty talkers. And this, this flows right from this insubordination, this untetheredness. Because we, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's not up on the screen, but 1 Timothy chapter 1. You can turn there if you want to. But he talks about the, these people who give themselves to endless genealogies and Jewish myths and all these different things. And, and, and what he's talking about specifically is in this culture, uh, in Judaism in this day, the, the way that you could show that you are acceptable to God is if you could show your bloodline was pure, if you could present your genealogy. You could say, I'm Luke, the, the son of Daryl, who is the son of Bill, who, so on and so forth. I, I can't remember the names. Well, that's, that's sad. But anyway, uh, and, and they would present their genealogy, and they would say, this is why I'm accepted, because I can show my pedigree. This is why I'm accepted, because here's who my family is. This is why I'm accepted. This is why, this is why God should, should accept me. This is why I can go in the temple, is because my bloodline is pure. And he's saying it's emptiness. The only thing that makes us acceptable to God is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's not who your family is. It's not who your parents are. These, these Jewish myths, the, the, the idea was like, the, if you... If you if you followed this day or if you made this day or you, if you cut your hair a certain way or what it, whatever it was, it's like, well, that's what makes us acceptable. 
He's saying that's just empty talk. And, and what they're doing is they're, they are being untethered to what actually saves them, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying there are people in the church that are leading people astray who are, who are untethered, insubordinate, empty talkers, and they are ultimately, he says, they are deceivers. They are deceiving people by saying, well, it's, you know, that's, that's great that it's all these things, but it's got to be more than just Jesus. And, and he, he says, especially these people, insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, he says, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, when, uh, in, our, in our teachers meeting, we, we always have uh, Todd, Stan, and I primarily get together on Thursdays and we talk about what we're going to be talking about and, and go over it together um, as a team. And, and Todd, this past week, as we were talking about the circumcision party, he was laughing and he was saying, that's not really a party I want to go to. It's like, yeah, I mean, right? But, but what he's talking about is this group of people, this party, who, who they were, another title for them are Judaizers. They were people who were coming out of the Jewish faith, and they were taking the Christian faith, and they were saying, man, Jesus good, God good, cross good, grace good, but it's got to be all of that stuff plus. It's got to be all of that stuff plus my works. It's got to be all that stuff plus my circumcision, what, what I can show in my flesh. It's got to be all that stuff plus my haircut. It's got to be all that stuff plus my wardrobe. It's got to be all that stuff plus. And you see, the reality is, if we add anything to Jesus, we lose everything, right? Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is grace by which we're saved, Nothing you do, nothing I do, and he's saying, look, these people are coming in, they are preaching a gospel contrary to the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 11, here's the response, he says, they must be silenced. He says, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This is super strong language. What Paul is basically saying, is he's saying, hey, Shut them up. It's the same language of like muzzling a dog. We, we, went, to, we went to a dog park. I, uh, we're, we're not really those people. We don't, that sounds bad. But, uh, we, you know, like going to the dog park, we went a couple times. And for some reason, our dog is like, I like little dogs. That's just who I am, uh, you know. And, and, and our dog, for, for some reason when we go to the dog park, I don't know if he just puts off some kind of scent or what. But all the other dogs want to get to know my dog, like in the biblical sense. And it's, it's like, it's disconcerting. And, and so the, the last time we went, my dog was like, he, he, like he's running around. And these dogs come over and, you know, and, and so my wife, like she scoops him up and she's holding him. And then this big dog starts jumping up on her back. And, and the, the owner comes over and he's like, oh, oh, he's just energetic. And it's like, what? Okay, that's not the re- response. Like, if your dog is jumping up on somebody, the response shouldn't be, oh, he just likes you, you know? It's like, it should be, hey, get that dog off, right? If a dog bites somebody, it shouldn't be like, oh, he hugs with his teeth. Like, no, <laughs> it's, you muzzle that dog. You stop it. And that's what Paul's saying, and, and lots of times people will say, well, well, Paul, he's just so... He's just so harsh sometimes, and he's so mean. And his language, I don't, I don't think I like Paul because he's kind of a jerk. 
And there are times where I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree. But at the same time, like when we look at what Paul sees here, I think the reason Paul uses such strong language and such harsh language is because he so strongly loves the people who are being impacted by this gospel that is not true. He, he says, you need to stop it. Why do you need to stop it? Because there are people, there are families, whole families being upset by this teaching. And it's not upset like, oh, that hurts my feelings. Like, oh, I read a blog post that I'm really upset by that. It's not that. It's, it's the word is being capsized, being, to brought in, being brought under destruction. It's like when I was a kid and I'd go on, uh, you know, float trips in the canoe and I'd get bored. And so then I'd, I'd start rocking the canoe, you know, and the people that were in it with me would be like, Luke, don't, don't you do it. And I'd stop. And it's like, Luke, you know, and just like capsize the whole thing because it was fun and I was bored and it was hot. But then I didn't realize that now all our food is gone and my shoes are wet for the rest of the day and all of that stuff. But that's, that's what's happening. They're coming in and they're saying, hey, that's great that you love Jesus, but do you, do you realize that there's more to that? And people are like, oh, really? And Paul's saying, you've got to stop that, not because he wants to keep power over people, but because he loves people so much and so deeply, and he realizes that the threat is imminent, and if their faith is capsized, there's nothing left. You add anything to your salvation and you, you have nothing. You add anything to Jesus and you have nothing. And so he's saying, you've got to stop that. But he says in verse 9, the way we silence those people is with healthy doctrine, sound doctrine. Not, not you know, blog posts or anything else, but truth, bringing truth into the situation, Right? Coming against it. He, he goes on and he says, this is, this is why. Here's, who's here? Who's, this is the, the, the place that we're talking about, the context. He says in verse 12, starting in verse 12, he says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> I, love, I love Paul the way he talks. I just love it. He's like, y'all know how, who you are. They're in Crete. He's talking to Cretans. And he's saying, one of your own authors said that you're evil beasts, lazy gluttons, all this, you're liars. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's about right. He's saying, yeah, that's true. I didn't say it, y'all did, right? And he goes on, he says, therefore, he's telling Titus, therefore rebuke them sharply. Again, harsh language, that they may be sound in the faith, not, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. See, again, Paul is agreeing with, with what they already know. He's saying, look, there's a problem here. There is a problem in Crete. There's a problem. And so what he says to that problem, he says, you guys know that you're liars. You guys know that, he says, you're like evil beasts. And, and, and what that means is they just go after whatever feels good in the moment. I mean, you know what dogs do. It's like, like why did you just eat that? They don't have a reason. They just did right? There's, animals don't reason. They just do whatever feels good. And oftentimes, that's what we do, right? That's what happens. What's the reason your relationships look the way they do? Well, I don't know. It feels good. It's, it's who I am. It's what he says, no, you're, you're evil beasts. And so therefore, what do you do? He says, rebuke them sharply. Again, harsh language, but why such harsh language? Because I believe Paul loved them harshly. He loved them deeply. 
He wanted to see them walk in freedom, not in brokenness. It, it reminds me of when, when uh, I was, my wife and I were watching my nephew, and we took him, this is when he was way young, and we took him to some department store, I don't know, and, and we got to the door, and we were walking out, and he hit those doors open, and he just runs out into the parking lot. And I didn't even have kids at the time, but my dad instincts kick in, and I grab him by the arm, and I say, you in, and I spank him. <laughs> Like, all just happened, right? Like, I, wasn't, I didn't even think about it. It was just like, ha, boom. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I just spanked a kid that's not my own. Like, that's, don't, like, I'm not, like, I don't just go around, I'm not a serial spanker. Like, I just don't, don't go around if your kids are running around. I'm not going to spank them, probably, right? Why did I do that, though? Why did I do that? What do you think? To rebuke, but why? Because I'm mean? To protect him, right? Because the danger was imminent. Because I knew what he was running into, even if he didn't, right? Like, I, I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to be like, oh, Uncle Luke, he just likes to spank me all the time. Like, no, the, I loved him so much that I was willing to do something that might appear harsh in the moment, but it was because I knew the threat was imminent. And Paul is saying, look, I love these people so much to say, rebuke them harshly. Bring it out into the light. I know we don't like to talk about sin. I know we don't like to ask people about purity. I know we don't like to, to get into those places. But he's saying, do it. Go there. Not because you're mean. Not because we want to just drag all your dirty laundry out. But because we love you. So that's what this is about. He, I mean, he even says it, rebuke them sharply. Why? That they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. He's saying, look, rebuke them sharply so that their doctrine, their faith will be sound and healthy, that they will know the truth. Because he's saying, look, the danger is that they might go in the other side, devoting themselves to these Jewish myths that we talked about just a few minutes ago. See, Paul is saying, look, there's a problem in Crete, but the solution to that problem isn't for them to just, just have, have more rules and more rituals. The problem isn't for them to go the way of the Judaizers. The problem isn't for them to change their outfits and wardrobes and get a haircut and a job. That, that's not the solution. That, that would just get them into another ditch. Right? Because that's what he's talking about. There's, there's the ditch of those who are, who, are, who are religiously lost, like the Judaizers, who think, well, it's got to be Jesus plus, and i got to look the part, and i got to sound the part, and i got to act the part, and i got to know the right things to say, and that's what's going to save me. And if I don't do that, then God and I aren't okay. He said, that's just a ditch. And if we get the Cretans out of this idea of being evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and liars, and just slide them into another ditch of just, like, do all the right things, we haven't saved them. Right? We haven't saved them. We've just put more, more chains on them. He, he goes on to explain this in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And what he means by that is he is just, he's unpacking what he's just saying. And we, we see from the Judaizers, their mentality is, if I can just look the part, then I'll be the part. If I can just look right, then I'll be right. 
In Luke 11, um, we see Jesus, he interacts with the Pharisees in this way, and this really comes out and, because they're, they're sitting around the table, they're getting ready to eat, and it says the, the, this Pharisee, he's amazed that the disciples aren't washing their hands. Now, you may be like, what's wrong with that? I want my kids to wash their hands. Like, like Stan is a germaphobe, and it's like, if you, if you touch his food, you know, he won't eat it, which I guess... I wouldn't want you to touch my food either, but, but it's like, it's this weird, you know, and that's not this. This was a ritualistic cleansing where the, the, these Pharisees, these, these Jewish religious people of the day, they believe that if the, if the priests, when they went into the temple, they went through this religious ceremony so that they could go in before God. And so they thought, well, if that works for the priests, and if that's, that's that way for the temple, then we'll just do it before every meal. We'll go through this ritualistic cleansing, and if I do this right, then I'll be acceptable to God. And so they're amazed that Jesus and the disciples don't, don't follow their rules, don't follow their laws. And Jesus says, look, you care so much about washing the outside when the inside is just death. It's, you're a whitewashed tomb. The outside looks good. And it's all polished marble, and it's all pretty, and it has, has pictures on it and all. But on the inside, it's just dead men's bones. And he's saying here, he's, he's saying, the problem with the Cretans isn't that they're doing the wrong things. It's that they are broken on the inside. And when you're broken on the inside, what comes out is brokenness, no matter what you try and do. It, it, it's like I, for Mother's Day, I got my wife a picnic table. Um, and uh, it was one of these, like, put-it-together-yourself type of things. You know, I'm not like Nick Serene. I can't just go to the hardware store and just be like, oh, I need this many two-by-fours and blah, 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 and then, boom, there's a table. Um, like, I, I have to kind of do the cheater's way, so they give me, you know, they give you the whole, like, this is how much wood you need and the fasteners and all that stuff, so then I take it home. I get it out, and, and first I paint the whole thing blue, and it's really pretty, and then I'm putting it together, but I realize as I'm putting it together that I'm leaving black fingerprints all over this nice blue picnic table that, I, that I'm putting together. And I'm trying to figure out where, where is this, like there's no, I'm not touching oil, where is this coming from? I'm getting black all over this nice new picnic table. And then I realized that the socket wrench I was using was the same socket wrench that I used like two weeks before to change the oil on my motorcycle. And I had the bright idea, it wasn't working right, and it was getting caught up, and I, so I had the bright idea to soak that soccer wrench in oil, because I thought, you know, this will lube some stuff up and get, it, get us cooking. But then I didn't realize, now every time I use that soccer wrench, I get oil all over myself and anything I'm using. Like, I just used it last night to change my wife's license plate. I got oil all over the license plate and her bumper and stuff, and it's like, ugh! And I keep wiping up the soccer wrench thinking, you know, maybe I can use them. But every time I, why? Why do I get black all over everything? Because there's black on the inside. It's the same for us. If we, if we try and think, if I just do the right thing, if I just say the right thing, if I just act the right way. And yet you've never experienced the saving work of Jesus Christ in your heart, in your life. You can clean yourself up all you want to, but you know what's in there, and it's brokenness. He, he goes on to explain it in verse 16. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. He's saying they, they, they look the part, they profess to know God, but because they think their works are, are what's saving them, by that work, they are showing that they don't know God at all. 
And I think lots of times we can be churches full of people who are the same way. Right? That we think, if I just do the right thing, if I just be the right way, if I just say the right things, if I just put my smile on on Sunday morning, then I'm going to be fine. But he says, your works are showing that you are not fine. Your works are showing that you don't know who God is at all. And people around you can see it. I mean, how many times when we come to church, if you have kids, it's like Sunday mornings are the hardest times with kids. I don't know what it is. Like the enemy is working overtime. And you're yelling at your kids, oh, Kurt, calm down, you know. And then you get to church, hey, how's it going? Nice to see you. You know, and you got that smile on. Your kids are just in the background being like, whatever, you know. Because they know. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever been like, kids, quiet down. I'm talking. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Great. And it's funny, but we all do it, and we show that we don't actually know who God is. Because we haven't allowed him to do a deeper work within us. Guys, what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, when we walk in that way, we aren't fit for anything. We aren't fit for any good work. You see, the reality is, in this section, both of these groups of people were lost. The Judaizers, with all their religious effort and with all of their, their good things that they had going for them and all their, all their circumcision and their parties and all that stuff, they were still lost, even in the midst of their religion. They were just religiously lost. And on the other hand, you had the Cretans who, they were lost. It was just a different way. They were recklessly lost. But both were like trash in the wind with no strings, Nothing, to, nothing to, to lift them up. And I believe that we see the same thing when we look at our lives today. That all of us have a propensity towards something. All of us have a propensity to go in one ditch or the other because the reality is we cannot fix ourselves. There is a problem in Colombia and we cannot fix it with more rules. We cannot fix it with behavior modification. We can't fix it with topical things. Well, I, I, I met a guy just recently in Starbucks, and it was one of those experiences where, you know when you go to, like, a coffee shop and you see the same person over and over and over again, and finally it's like, this is getting awkward because, like, I see you, but sometimes it's like, oh, we don't see each other, but we sit by each other. And so finally I was just like, hey, man, my name is Luke. I've, I've seen you in here quite a few times, and I feel like it just we should know each other. And he, he's like, yeah, hey, how's it going? And he told me his name, and, and we started talking about stuff, and he was asking me, like, what are you reading? What are you working on? And I was talking to him, you know, I was doing classwork, apologetics, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And he started telling me about his story. And he told me about how he's a, he's a pagan pantheist. And part of me, I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, I don't know oh, what that means. And he's like, yeah, I pray, to, I pray to my mom's God, and I pray to Zeus, and I pray to, you know, like, I, I, you know, pray to all these things. And I know it doesn't make sense theologically. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I'm confused. Um, and, and, but he, he was talking to me about how he had been really hurt by the church. And how, you know, it's, it's Pride Month. And he had his, his kind of like his shirt on and his stickers and kind of showing his pride. And he was talking to me about how he was hurt by the church. And, but, but as we kept talking, he was talking to me about how he has lost everybody in his family. They're all dead. 
We were talking about meaning and all these different things. And as I, as I sat there with my new friend, there, there were so many things. I think that oftentimes when we see people like that, we get to thinking, you know what you, know what you need? You know what you need? You need a new wardrobe. Let's, let's go on down to Plato's Closet just back here, and, and I'll buy you a new shirt, and I'll buy you some fresh stickers, and, and, and you know what? We'll, I'll take you over, and we'll get a haircut, and that'll, that'll fix you up. And I, I even know a sweet young gal, and, and let's, let's get you a girlfriend. That'll straighten things out, right? Because that's what you need, right? You, you need more stuff in your life to, to make you right. But the reality is, is that my friend at Starbucks needs the same thing that I need on a daily basis, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ that, that takes care of the brokenness within us and gives us freedom in him. See, the Bible is clear that we are all broken. We are all sinful. We have all sinned. In, in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Like a menstrual rag, that's the, that's the translation. It says, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Our sins just take us away. That's the reality of our situation, whether you're religiously lost or recklessly lost. When we become untethered from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are lost and we are broken and nothing we can do will fix that. But praise God, the Bible doesn't leave us there. It says in Ezekiel 36, 26, God promises, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He's saying, I'm gonna fix this problem. I'm gonna take away this broken heart. I'm gonna take away this, this, this grime, this oil within you that keeps coming out on everything you try and do, everything you try and find to fulfill yourself that just leads to more brokenness. I'm gonna fix that. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For our sake he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we can't fix ourselves. I can't fix my friend at Starbucks. But what my friend at Starbucks needs is a relationship with the one who can fix. Amen? You see, as I, was, as I was thinking about this this past week, I kept asking God, and I'm saying, God, what do you want us to do with this this week? What would you have for us, God? And I think at times, my, I, I jump to, like, my propensity is that religious lost. Sometimes I'm like, uh, God's probably not very happy with me today because I, I haven't done very good in my quiet times. Oh, I haven't, my prayer life isn't very great, so I bet God is really, you know, withholding stuff from me, withholding blessing. And what I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm showing my belief that if I can just do more, then I'll be more accepted. And, and when I think about passages like this, I go to, well, maybe I need to stop my quiet time. Maybe I need to stop reading the Bible. Maybe I need to stop praying. And as I, as I prayed and as I sought God, I really felt like God was saying, no, it's not stopping these things. It's not, it's not taking less time in the Word. It's not, it's not praying less. It's not trying to love people less. It's, it's praying and reading and loving with the, right, with the right mindset. Because both of these people in this passage were tr trying to deny God. The religious lost were denying him with just all their religious activity, denying his power, denying their, their knowledge of him, and the reckless lost were denying him because they were just going after all these other things. 
Both, both sides were denying God, and I believe God was saying, look, it's just going into all of these things with the right perspective about who I am. What, what would happen What would happen if instead of, of just reading our Bibles, trying to check something off our list, we open the word, we open God's word, believing that God was opening his mouth? What if we open God's word believing and trusting that we were entering into a time, a concerted time, where we are spending time with a God who desires to spend time with us? What would happen if when we go to God in prayer, we're not just trying to check something off a list, but we are praying to a God who we believe, who we know desires more relationship with us? How would that change your prayer life? How would that change your time in the Word? How would that change how you interact with people like my friend at Starbucks? If we try and love people, not because we want to be better Christians, not because we're like, oh, this is what I do. I'm supposed to evangelize or proselytize or whatever. I'm supposed to do these things. But we started to show people love around us because we know that we serve a God who loves them and who died for them. And who wants to save them in the same way that he wants to save me. See, that's, that's the truth of the gospel. Amen? Anthem Church, that's what I want us to be. What we're going to do now this morning is we're going we're gonna to take an opportunity to walk in this. We're going to take communion. We do this almost every week. But this morning as we take communion... My question for you is, what would it look like if even before you go to that communion table, you confess the fact that you have been trying, maybe, maybe for you, you've been trying to find acceptance from God by all of your works. But by doing that, you've been showing that you don't actually know who God is. You're trying, to, you're trying to get more out of God by giving more out and trying to, trying to be acceptable to God instead of realizing that you are accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. If you, are, if you put your faith in Christ, you, are his, you are, are his son, you are his daughter, you are accepted. You don't have to do anything more to have him love you more. You are loved Guys, if you, if you have that propensity like I do, we need to confess that. We need to say, God, I have been trying to gain more of you by giving more, and I just I want to be done with that. I want to go to your word because you desire more time with me, more, more I want to I wanna be in prayer for you because I want to know you more. And if you're, if you're in the other ditch, if you're that recklessly lost person, if you're floating around trying to find, find fulfillment in all these other places, This morning, I would just invite you to ask God to come in and save you. Not because you have anything to offer, but because he has done it for you. He's provided the way. So before we go to communion, wherever you're at, if you're that recklessly lost person and you're like, man, this is just who I am. Let me tell you guys, who you are is not a determining factor for who God wants to make you into, right? Who you are right now is not a determining factor for who God can make you to be, for who God wants you to be. So surrender this morning. And as we go to communion, let's not do it as a ritual. Let's not do it to check something off a box. 
but let's do it knowing that Jesus Christ gave his body and his blood for us so that we could be made right with God. There's, there's stations all around the room. There's gluten-free in the front. As the band comes up, they're going to play. I just want you to take some time, wherever you are this morning. Take some time, seek God, and if you have, have experienced his salvation this morning, Go to one of these stations, and we're going to take a piece, and we're going we're to tear off a piece of the bread, which represents the body of Christ, which is broken for you, for your sin. And we're going to take that, and we're going to dip it in the cup, which represents his blood, which was poured out for you, so that you would be made right before God. And let's do that knowing that Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be made right with God. God, we, we thank you and we praise you this morning. I praise you for your goodness. I praise you for the fact that I can't, God, I praise you for the fact that I can't do anything to save myself. God, I can't. God, you, you know, you know the things that I've done. You know the sins that I've committed. And God, if, if, I were, if it were left up to me, if, if it was all about my own devices, me making myself right, God, I would be going straight to hell. But God, I praise you that even when I was like the Cretans, God, even when I was, was like that evil beast just going after whatever would fulfill me, God, you saved me. You provided a way for me. Even though I had done so much to remove myself from your presence, you entered into mine. God, I praise you when, when I am like that Pharisee, when I'm like those Judaizers, and I get into this mindset that I just got to do more and be more so that I can be acceptable to you, God. I praise you that even in those times, you make the gospel more and more clear. That I am acceptable. That you do desire more. And you pour yourself out for me. I love you. I praise you. And I pray that we'd be a church who would know you more that we would love you more and that we would step out in obedience more.